This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, rather, not Corinthians, 2 Timothy, looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. It's page 995, if you're looking at the few Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding as we come to your word this morning. We thank you for this passage, for this book, and the opportunity that we have to study it together, and we pray that your Spirit would be our teacher, that he would give us light to understand and to apply your word, for we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Memory is a funny thing. The various details, even trivial occurrences, conversations, events that stick in your mind, maybe from years ago. I wish I could remember quotations better than I do. I can't remember jokes either. Somebody could tell me a joke I think is perfectly funny, and the, the next day I, I can't remember what it was. Well, quotations are much the same way, although there are a few quotations that have managed to lodge in my brain and stay there And there's one that may be familiar to you because I I usually share it in the Explorers class. It is a quotation from the 19th century Methodist minister E.M. Bounds, who today is best known for his books on prayer. This quotation is from his book, Power Through Prayer, and it occurs in, I think, the second or third paragraph, very Early on, it's a book I commend to you. It's it's uh, highly motivating where prayer is concerned. But the quotation is this: the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Men are God's method. And I think Bounds is onto something profoundly important. And it's true. Churches are often looking for strategies, methods, what works, what will seem to produce results. Whereas, as Bound says, God is looking for better men. God is concerned about the people, about the state of our hearts, about what's going on in our lives. And 
just as we should be concerned about methodology, we should make sure that our methods are focused on people. After all, it's people uh, upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. It's people that God is concerned to save and to make mature followers of Christ. And methods, insofar as they come into play, are to be to that end and not become an end in themselves, uh, and that we don't lose sight of the people in our methodology. Well, as Paul has been writing to Timothy, uh, here in this second epistle to Timothy we have in Scripture, Paul's uh, final letter in the, the New Testament, he's very much concerned about the man. He's concerned for Timothy. As we have seen, he is careful to encourage Timothy by reminding him of all he has going for him, that Paul himself is praying for him, that he has a strong believing heritage that he has been given a gift from God, given the Spirit of God for service, uh, that he has the gospel in which he has believed and the things that Timothy is to do with that gospel, including communicating it to others, including being willing to suffer for it, including making sure that he gets it right, that he follows that pattern of sound words that have been passed on to him, that has been passed on to him by Paul, uh, and that he guards this treasure that is the gospel. Uh, that it's not stolen away by false teaching, that it's not corrupted uh, by those who would twist it, uh, and so that the church loses that treasure that they have. Certainly men are important, but methods are important too. And in the church, we want to make sure that our methods don't just arise out of our own devising. All too often the church, especially uh, in our day, tends to shape its theology from the Bible, but its methodology from Madison Avenue or from the Fortune 500 company boardroom, uh, and tends to detach its method from its doctrine. But we don't want to do that. We want our method, we want the way that we do things to arise out of our doctrine, what we believe to be true. And as you study the book of Acts, you see uh, that the method of the church was very simple. It involved the preaching of the Word of God, both formally and informally. It involved uh, prayer. How many times in the book of Acts do you find the disciples gathered for prayer? Uh, and in Acts 2, that pattern of, of fellowship with one another, the, the, the love that they had uh, for one another, that itself was a great witness to those around them of the gospel. They're coming together for the breaking of bread, uh, the, the sacraments of the church, the Lord's Supper, their, their method, very simple, arose out of their doctrine, of who they were in Christ, of what the Word of God was, of what the gospel is. Well, we see that here as Paul talks to Timothy, as he writes to him here. He gets into some methodology here. Uh, how is to, he to go about doing those things that he is to do? How should he go about this ministry that he has and that is increasing now as Paul is basically uh, passing on his ministry to Timothy. You know how Elisha was given the mantle of Elijah. He took up his ministry. Well, in many ways, this is the passing of the mantle to this man, Timothy, who is going to follow Paul. A man, by the way, Paul had immense regard for, who was a convert of his, who had accompanied him on missionary journeys. He could say of Timothy, I have no one like him who cares for the welfare of the churches. So Paul has great respect for his protege, Timothy. 
But in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, he shares with Timothy some lessons, lessons Paul himself has known and practiced, uh, but lessons Timothy needs to know, lessons that we need to know as well. We're not Timothy. He was a, he was a one man in unique time and circumstances. But these lessons that Paul passes on to him are lessons that would benefit us too as well in our ministry, whether that's in a, in a formal and visible sense, in an ordained capacity as an officer, or whether it's your ministry to your children or ministry in terms of simply conversing with one another, encouraging one another, asking how you're doing. That itself is, is an important ministry to one another, uh, as well as uh, talking with unbelievers, telling them of Jesus, whatever it might be. So ministry both in a, in a formal sense, but also in a, in a much broader and informal sense. Well, what are we to know? How are we to go about this? Well, first of all, Paul talks to Timothy and talks to us about the lesson of dependence. Dependence. Number one, uh, look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, remember the context. What has Paul been writing about? Well, just prior to this, he reminds Timothy in verse 15 that all who are in Asia turned away from me. He mentions a couple of names even. That there was this falling away, from certainly from Paul himself and maybe from the gospel as well. Uh, he mentions Onesiphorus, who was a, it was a pleasant uh, exception to that, who cared about Paul, searched him out, not ashamed to be identified with him in the gospel for which Paul was suffering. But at least in that region, there was uh, a large-scale abandonment of Paul and the gospel as well. And so that's why in chapter 2, verse 1, there's this emphasis back, you, however, but you, that's emphatic as Paul wrote it. You know, this happened with them, Onesiphorus is an example, but you, Timothy, if you're going to stand when others will not, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As we go about the Christian life, as we go about whatever ministry it is that God has given to us, uh, large or small, visible, invisible, whatever it might be, the temptation is, especially if we've been at it a while, to think, I've got this down. I can do this. Uh, I'm comfortable with this. And we lose a sense, or in danger of losing a sense, of absolute dependence on the grace and the strength of God to do what we do. Timothy has, is a tested follower of Christ, a tested leader in the church. And yet Paul reminds him, Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we think of grace in terms of salvation, God doing for us what we do not deserve, giving to us what we do not deserve, cannot earn. But grace is not just for salvation, it's also for service. In this sense, it's God strengthening us, empowering us, giving us his power to accomplish those things that he wants us to accomplish. So be strong, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we see that throughout the scriptures. There should be a sense of desperation that leads to dependence within us. As we've looked, uh, for example, at Moses, looking at the uh, studies in Exodus that we did. What, what do we notice about Moses? We notice his, his fear of the task God is calling him to, to go to Pharaoh, to go to Egypt and bring Israel out of Egypt. And he puts up excuse and excuse. I can't do this. 
they won't listen to me. I can't speak very well. Send somebody else. Um, but what's the Lord say to him? Each time he says, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. I will enable you to do what I'm calling you to do. Was it wasn't going to be easy, as we saw. It didn't happen immediately. But God's answer to Moses' fear is, I will be with you. Think of uh, the Apostle Paul, who in, in multiple places talks about his inadequacy. You know, we think uh, how he writes that, uh, that we are the aroma of Christ, both to those who are being saved and those who are not. To the one, we are the, the sweet smell of life. To the other, we're the wretched stench of death, the gospel, and how people respond to it and what it means for people. And when he says that, when he thinks about the gospel, whether it's preached here or whether you're talking about it at home or with a neighbor, wherever it is, you are you are causing matters of eternal significance to take place. You are either drawing that person somehow closer to Christ, maybe closer to a point of conversion, maybe closer in their walk with the Lord, or by speaking to them of Christ, you're hardening their heart. You are driving them farther from Christ. Matters of eternal significance, of, of huge importance taking place. And what's Paul's reaction to that? Well, you know, that's just kind of the way I am. No. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Which of us is sufficient to be an agent of either drawing someone closer to Christ or confirming them in their damnation? Not me. Not you. So there's this sense of, of inadequacy, this dependence on the Lord. Lord, our sufficiency is in Christ, Paul says. Which goes back to exactly what he's saying to Timothy. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Think of Jesus himself in John chapter 15. Uh, with that uh, wonderful picture, that analogy where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I will abide with him uh, and he will bear much fruit. For, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you're a Christian, there is a union with Christ that's there and it's very real. But Jesus is talking about abiding in him which certainly assumes that you and I have a union with Christ by virtue of God's grace and our spiritual rebirth. But there also has to be a conscious, active, drawing near to Christ, depending on Christ, looking to Christ to bear fruit in our lives. Because Jesus reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not that you can sort of do it. It's not that you can do an okay job, but it would be better if I was helping you. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you teach your Sunday school class, when you go to talk to a neighbor and the subject of the gospel comes up, are you praying for grace? Are you praying for that strength that comes only from the Lord? So it doesn't matter how often you've done it, how good you've gotten at it. You never get beyond verse 1, the need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the first lesson Paul teaches Timothy here reminds him of is that lesson of dependence. Whatever we do. Whatever form our ministry or Christian influence on others might take, never forget the lesson of dependence. Second, he talks to Timothy about the lesson of transference. Transference, transferring the gospel. You know, it's interesting, all the different things we do as a church, uh, various Bible studies, worship services, 
small groups, uh, various activities, whatever it might be. There are all kinds of purposes involved in that. But the underlying purpose of pretty much everything we do as a church is to transfer the gospel from one person to another. Really quite simple when you think about it. And that's what Paul is, is saying here, that everything we do is with an eye toward transferring the knowledge of Christ from one person to another or from a group of people to another group of people. Transference, that lesson. What are we really doing? Well, we're simply transferring the knowledge of Christ, the truth about Christ, the gospel, good news of a Savior who loved us and died for us from one to another. Look at verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul essentially sees four, four stages here when he talks about this. First of all is, is Christ to Paul, the transferring of the gospel from Christ to Paul. We look at, um, look at verse 12, um, where Paul says that God is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Uh, Paul says in Galatians that I did not, I didn't come up with the gospel. I didn't receive it from any other people, but I received the gospel from Christ himself. This was not something that man gave to me, but Christ himself gave to me. So the first phase here is Paul, who has received the gospel as an apostle from Christ. But then his second phase is the, the transferring of the gospel from Paul to Timothy. Uh, he says, what I have entrusted to you, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So we have that transferring of the gospel from Paul to Timothy. And notice, he says, in the presence of many witnesses. That may just pass right over us, but in Paul's day, and especially afterwards, the rise of various mystery religions with secret knowledge and uh, esoteric uh, traditions arose. Paul says, look, the gospel is not some secret. You, you heard it from me, and, and certainly many other people heard it from me with you in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, the gospel is being passed on, Paul to Timothy. And he instructs Timothy, what you heard from me, you yourself entrust to faithful men. So from Timothy to faithful men, and I assume faithful as opposed to men like Phygelus and Hermogenes in verse chapter 1, verse 15, who were unfaithful. Men. Now that requires some discernment on Timothy's part. It requires a judgment call as to what men would be faithful. And not only so, the fourth phase, who will be able to teach others also. So for the gospel from Christ to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others also. Timothy was to look for men to, to disciple, to train, to teach pass the gospel on to, to transfer it to them, but men who themselves would be able then to pass it on to others. You see, this is, this is true apostolic succession, a succession of truth, a succession of the gospel, not a succession of ordination, not a succession of men, but a succession of truth. This lesson of transference is, is, is very important, that we recognize that ultimately what we are about is passing the gospel on to others and at least some of those with the hopes that they themselves will be able to pass the gospel on to yet others. It's great to be a spiritual parent in the Lord. It's better to be a spiritual grandparent in the Lord. 
And so that's what he's saying here. So I'll just ask you, where are you in this chain? Well, we're not Christ. We're not even Paul. Uh, although some might be in a position of, of leadership in the church and be able to, uh, to transfer the gospel to, to someone like Timothy who would be able to transfer the gospel to faithful men who in turn would pass the gospel on to others. That's what we would like to see as the gospel continue being transferred. Now notice too that this is, this is a very personal, uh, kind of thing. It's not programmatic. Paul's not talking about a fancy program. He's simply talking about one person passing the gospel on to another who will pass it on to another. You'll notice also it's pretty simple. It's not complex. Uh, it, it's just, it can be as easy or simple as a conversation. It can be as complex as a Sunday school class uh, or a small group or a Bible study or whatever form that might take. But this lesson of transference is one that Paul passes on to Timothy. And then, finally, uh, he passes on to him this, this, this lesson of perseverance. The ministry, whether it's formal or informal, visible or invisible, big or small, is often not easy. It may be tiring physically. It may be wearing spiritually and emotionally. Getting involved in the lives of others can be hard on any number of fronts. But he talks about this in verses 3 through 6, and he uses three metaphors or, or, or pictures to, to teach Timothy, to teach us what he means. First, the metaphor of the soldier. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A couple of things about a soldier that Paul wants us to learn. One, he says, share in suffering like a good soldier. Now, he didn't say suffer. He says, share in suffering. So we talked about last last week. Even when we suffer as Christians, we're not alone. We join with brothers and sisters around the world today, as well as those throughout church history who have suffered for the gospel. But he calls them to share in suffering like a soldier would. Now, a soldier is not looking for an easy life. Uh, they don't expect to jump out of their feather bed, down pillow, and, and, and go out the door to the battlefield. Uh, there's a certain hardness or hardship that is involved in that, and that's what he's pointing him toward. Paul certainly had plenty of occasion to compliment, uh, or to contemplate, rather, uh, a soldier as he was there imprisoned and had been imprisoned, uh, through his ministry. Um, had opportunities to, to look at soldiers of Rome and, and think, in what ways their lives were similar to his own life as a good soldier of Christ who knew what it was to suffer hardship, to endure. Uh, and so he, say, he looks at him and says, be like that soldier. Recognize that you need to share in some hardship for the sake of the gospel. But not only the, the hardship, not only be prepared for, for some hard times, occasionally at least, but also to be focused as a soldier. Notice verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim, his focus, is to please the one who enlisted him. I remember reading uh, David McCulloch's novel, or not novel, but, uh, his history. Uh, it reads kind of like a novel. It's very good, very easy to read. 1776, he was talking about the early uh, days, months of the American Revolution. Soldiers would be there with the army, but if uh, it was the season and the, and the thought struck them, they'd go home to go take care of their farms. They may or may not come back. They'd come back when they wanted to. Um, it was a hard way to run an army. They were distracted. They were concerned about taking care of things at home as well as just coming back and serving in the army. 
Uh, and it made it very difficult uh, for Washington to maintain an army, and certainly an effective one, uh, because they were distracted. Well, Paul's talking about that here. Uh, he can't get entangled in civilian pursuits. He's got to be focused on the task, on serving, on pleasing the one who is over him. And so from a soldier, we learn a couple things. That sometimes it will be hard. Hard if you're involved in the life of another. Hard if you were an elder in the church involved in the lives of others. Hard if you're a deacon in the church involved in the lives of others. Uh, it can be hard. But we need to also have a focus, a sense of, of mission, an aim there to please Christ in whose army we serve. So that's the first metaphor. Second metaphor he uses, well-known one, verse 5, the athlete. The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, you, when you're running the marathon, you can't shave off a few blocks by taking a shortcut. You have to compete according to the rules. Now, what does Paul have in mind? Well, certainly God's law, certainly the moral law that we uh, spoke of in our confession earlier, the Ten Commandments, that summary of God's law, uh, in serving Christ, we, we, don't, we don't disobey the law of God in the, for the sake of serving Christ, uh, in whatever form that might take. So that would be one sense. But also, just in terms of methodology, obeying the laws of, of ministry. What would those be? Well, think of uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about, you know, some plant, some build, God waters. Uh, he talks about the foundation is Christ. And we build our Christian lives and Christian services building on that foundation that is Christ. Some build with gold and silver and costly jewels. What would that look like? Well, it means that they serve selflessly. They serve sacrificially. They serve with the motive of honoring Christ and blessing others in the name of Christ. Uh, he says others may serve, uh, may build on that foundation with wood and hay and straw. What would that be? Well, it's hard to say. Um, maybe, maybe serving in the church, but your motive really is to get noticed. Your, your motive really is for the approval of men. Well, you may do good. You may bless people. But God sees your heart, and it's, it's rather mixed. And Paul says the day of judgment will, the, will evaluate how we built. That fire may consume how you built. The wood, the hay, the straw. You know, the foundation is still there. You're still standing on Christ. Your salvation's in him. But did you build with material that endures or material that will be consumed? So the athlete competes according to the rules. Basic, yes, is obeying the law, the moral law. But also basic is, is serving Christ by his methods, uh, with a motive toward his glory and toward the well-being of the church. And then he also uses the metaphor here of, of the farmer. Verse 6, it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. Now, there's something different about the farmer. You know, soldiers fight together. Athletes compete before a crowd. The farmer's just out there in his field. He has to work hard. And there's nobody there necessarily who will see him, who will applaud him who will recognize him for his hard work. But it's because of his hard work, if there's any recognition at all, it's the crops that come up. It's, it's a harvest that is, is yielded through his work. So verse 6, the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. As farmers, what do we reap? Well, 
We trust uh, lives of holiness through diligent use of the means of grace that God has given us, his word, prayer, worship, sacraments, and so on. Uh, perhaps a harvest of conversions, those who've come to know Christ or those who maybe not converted to Christ but have grown strong in Christ through our efforts, through our teaching, through our friendship, through our conversations, whatever it might be. Things that may not be noticed by the church, that may not get written up in Christianity today or whatever, and yet the Lord sees. And you see the harvest, the crop that is being produced due to your labor. A hard-working farmer. You know, one of Paul's favorite words is toil. Paul worked hard. I mean, we look at his life, the effectiveness of his ministry. This was a man who had many a sleepless night, uh, a man who often suffered to, to within an inch of his life in this world, a man who knew what it was to work hard uh, by day and by night, and the Lord blessed him with fruit. And there's that principle that the hard-working farmer, not just the farmer, the hard-working farmer, who raises this crop and has is entitled to the first share of it. So those are the lessons Paul has here in mind for Timothy, the, the, the lesson of dependence, absolutely dependence on the grace of Christ, the lesson of transference, to recognize that whatever we're about, uh, whether on a one-to-one level or, or the church as a whole or whatever, this idea of transferring the knowledge of Christ, the gospel, from point A to point B, from me to you, from this group to that group, whatever it might be, and then also the lesson of perseverance that is fleshed out by these metaphors of the soldier, an athlete, and the farmer. But then Paul says something curious, verse 7. Think over what I say. I think it was Steve Brown who frequently ends his messages with, now you think about that. Uh, Paul says essentially that. Think over. You think about what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I think there's an important lesson there that, that applies even here when we're studying God's word together, or when you're reading it on your own, Bible study. On well, the first place, the need to consider, the need to think. For some Christians, it's a, it's a new idea that they should apply their brain to the Bible. It shouldn't be. But when we come to the Scriptures, our brains need to be on. We need to be thinking about what the Word is saying. What does it mean? What does it say I should do or stop doing? How should this change the way or inform the way I live today? We need that. We need to actively engage our brains in the study of God's Word. Would you say you know the Bible better today than you did on this day last year? If not, why not? Perhaps it's just a lack of application, a lack of study. But that's not enough. Think over what I say, Paul says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. See, as we come to the scriptures, we come with that dependence. We come saying, Lord, open, as the psalmist says, Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. I remember reading, actually listening to a video and read the transcript of John Piper talking about his sermon preparation, what he does. Preachers are always fascinated for some reason by how other preachers do that, prepare their sermons. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how I prepare mine, so... But one thing he said was, as I'm reading the text, I'm, I'm praying and, you know, writing thoughts. I'm praying, Lord, show me something here that will benefit my people. Show me something new here I haven't seen before. Show me this in a new way. So I'm not just reading into it what I want, what I think is there, but to see what really is there. And those are great questions to ask, whether we come here on Sunday morning or whether we are just picking up the Bible in the morning or in the evening to read it for ourselves and everything in between. Lord, show me 
what you want me to know. Help me understand what you have here. And that's what Paul's saying. You think about this, apply your brain to it, consider it, for the Lord will give you understanding. We don't want to just apply our, our brains to the truth without dependence on the Lord, nor do we want to just sort of turn our brains off and expect the Lord to give us revelations and visions. But we need the Word of God, our brains applied to it, consider it, think about it, but we also need that dependence on the Lord to help us understand what he wants us to see here. What we want is to be better people with better methods, God-given methods, methods rooted in Scripture, like the lesson of dependence, the lesson of transference, the lesson of perseverance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that it is rich and full of meaning. And, Father, we pray that we would be diligent to study it. And, Lord, as we do so dependently, that you would be faithful to open our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.